Great to see you today, Venture. I went on a pastor's retreat a few months ago. By the way, before I tell you my story, can I simply comment on this idea of retreat? Do you feel overwhelmed? Maybe too busy? Well, retreat. There's a huge value in doing less so that you can do more. There's a huge value in jumping out of the rat race for a few minutes to slow down so that you can speed up. Anyway. A handful of pastors, myself included, we, we gathered in a home in Kentucky. We spent some time sharing war stories coming out of COVID. Some of these guys were feeling overwhelmed. There were some horror stories shared. We spent time praying for each other. We invested some time together via Zoom with a spiritual mentor who coached us through the lens of the Bible on crisis response. We ate some good food. We spent time laughing together. The first activity was, was watching the Super Bowl together. One of my old college buddies, his nickname in college was Beaver. I think he had buck teeth as a kid. Well, we took a hike together. And that day, standing next to a creek, he told me a horror story. He had taken a church group backpacking, camping, hiking into a remote area. And after a long day of hiking, they found a beautiful spot for the campsite just off the trail next to a beautiful babbling brook. They began to string their camping hammocks up. Some of them put up their tents. They had those backpacking meals, maybe you know the kind where you heat up some water and eat them out of a bag. I'm assuming there were some stories told around the campfire, you know, camping. Then they all went to bed. Skip ahead to the middle of the night. Beaver told me that from a dead sleep, he heard rushing water, not a babbling brook, but rushing water. He hauls out of bed. He hollers out at the top of his lungs, wake up, let's go. We're standing in a beautiful spot in creation, and I'm listening to my friend warn me about the dangers of camping next to water. He said it was shocking how quickly the water rose. Apparently, there had been some rainfall upstream. You should have seen the look on his face, probably at least a year after the actual event, as he recounted the rushing around to pull people out of the tents and to salvage what they could before literally swimming for safety. My heart was beating faster at the end of his story than it was when he began. I've heard it said that water is the most destructive force on the planet. It has significant power to erode, to undermine, to sweep away. You see, there is an inherent danger to camping on sand. You have to question any housing choice, really, built on sand. Jesus has some specific words on this topic. If you've been following along this summer, you know we've been trekking through the Sermon on the Mount when we're inside. And we've been looking at the Sermon on the Plain when we're outside for worship on the lawn. If you've been tracking along, you know that this is, in my opinion, well, these two passages in your New Testament were actually the same sermon we've been saying all summer, it's a matter of perspective. Matthew looked one direction and saw a mountain. Luke looked the other and he saw a level place and called it the Sermon on the Plain. It's a matter of perspective. 
Jesus gives some perspective in this passage that is recorded in your Bible in both locations, Sermon on the Mount and Sermon on the Plain. And we've been saying all summer, let's level things out, mountaintops and valleys below. Let's get back to living a level life. So today concludes this sermon series. We're outside. It's a beautiful day. So if you want to open up your Bible to Luke chapter 6, let's see what Jesus has to say about camping and building in the wrong locations. Jesus is preaching, landing the plane on this greatest sermon ever preached in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 46. It's titled, The Wise and the Foolish Builders. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you that he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it. Why? Because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray as we unpack these ancient yet super current words. Lord, give illumination from your text for our lives today. We invite you into that. Lead us, teach us, coach us. Right now, it's in your name, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The big idea from this greatest sermon ever preached today. Well, I think this is obvious. If you're taking notes today, write this down. Focus on your foundations. Matthew, we just read out of Luke, but Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount records these additional details. The wise man built his house on bedrock. The foolish man dug and chose a sandy place to dig his foundation. And that didn't work out so well. With a literal house, it is unwise to build on sand because the foundation will be unsteady and the house will eventually suffer some kind of collapse and damage. This will waste resources and all the time and the work putting into building the house in the first place will have gone for nothing. In contrast, it is wise to build one's house on a sure foundation. Anchoring to bedrock makes a building withstand the test of time. But Jesus' sermon was not concerned with house construction or building code violations. The spiritual meaning of the parable is found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. We're each building a life. The proper foundation for a life is Jesus' words, not just the hearing of them, but of the doing of them as well. Jesus' brother James, who was likely present for this greatest sermon ever preached, well, he comments on this in James chapter 1, verse 22, when he says, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. So let's not fool ourselves. Let's be wise. For the rest of our time together today, I want to contrast these two soil conditions to build your house upon. Let's contrast sandy soil with bedrock and make wise choices for our life's foundation. Let's start with the bad choice, the unwise. Let's talk about bad or sandy foundations. 
Let me share with you three truths, if I can, about bad foundations. First of all, if you're taking notes, write this down. They lack intention. Have you ever built anything without a plan? I have. Sometimes I get lucky when I try this. Necessity becomes the mother of invention, and my lack of preparation yields a fevered creativity, and some kind of modern art emerges in my construction project. But if you're a builder, and I hire you to build me a house, I don't want to hear about your strategy to just wing it. I want to see a plan. I want to see blueprints. I want to see a timeline. I want to see intention and a strategy. I don't know about you, but in this scenario, I'm super skeptical if you can't show me intention. The same is true of our Christian lives. Show me your intention. I mean, sometimes spiritual growth happens on the fly. God shows us something even when we weren't expecting it. But in my experience, nine times out of ten, God shows up in our lives when we invite Him in. That doesn't mean He wasn't already here. Of course He was. He's always here. But when we invite Him in, when we intentionally open up our hearts to receive Him, we're the ones who are ready to see Him at work. Years ago, I was a youth pastor. And I would take students on spiritual retreats, you know, like camp, CIY, stuff like that. By the way, a whole bunch of our high school students here at Venture left for CIY early this morning, actually. One of my boys is on that road trip right now. Would you please pray for our students and their youth coaches as they journey down to Lee University in Tennessee this week? Anyway, I remember being at one of those years ago, and I was talking with a group of my teen student leaders the last night of a powerful week together. If you've never been on one of those, they're amazing. That week was no different. There was an incredible speaker, powerful worship each night for a week. I've always said, actually, at the end of a week of CIY, I could get up and preach out of the dictionary and students would stream forward to give their life to Christ. Anyway, we're debriefing the week in that moment. We're celebrating where God has shown up. And one of the girls in my youth group says, why can't every week be like this? You know, this mountaintop experience. I felt like this, she said, after mission trip last summer as well. It just seems like God has shown up this week and he showed up that week. What about the rest of the weeks in my year? Well, I looked at her and I said, you know the difference between this week and last week? The difference is you came this week looking for Jesus. Of course he showed up. He always does when we're looking for him. Are you looking for him this week? Let me ask it this way. How intentional is the foundation you're building for your life together with Him this week? Have you pre-planned with intention? Have you pre-planned some quiet time for Bible study? Have you calendared to meet Him here? Are you walking into this week with intention for your prayer life? Have you scheduled intentional time to be reminded of the truths of God, even inside the context of healthy Christian community? Are you doing life together this week with other believers? Have you been intentional about resting in your identity of who you are in Him? Perhaps the healthiest thing you could do this week is to retreat, to get alone with God, to, as the Bible puts it, be still and know that He is God. Perhaps the best foundation you could build this week is to simply take a nap, to rest. That would be healthy. But we were talking about bad foundations to build a life on. Huh? Not only do they lack intention, 
they also avoid wisdom. Don't do what Jesus warns against here. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord? You're the boss, right? And not do what I say. Let's recap what he had actually said in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain. In this greatest sermon ever preached, well, it begins with the Beatitudes, perhaps you remember. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains to his followers what kinds of human lives are blessed by God. The statements he made are known, well, as the Beatitudes. And according to Jesus, God gives his blessing to the meek, meaning humble people. He gives his blessing to those who make peace. He gives his blessing to those who show mercy to others. Jesus also mentioned that people who are persecuted because of their faith will be blessed and they're going to find reward in heaven. If you want to look that up, you can find it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 11. Then, in this greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus includes teaching about God's law. The Bible relates how some of the people who came to hear Jesus give sermons feared that he was opposed to the teaching in the Old Testament, which people had been following for a long time at that point. However, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explained that he'd not come to overturn God's laws, but to make sure that they were upheld. Jesus expanded on the Old Testament teachings, explaining that God had ever higher expectations of how people should behave toward each other. For example, Jesus quotes the Old Testament that says, do not murder, and then he takes it a step further. He says, do not even become angry with another person or insult them. Try to forgive people and mend broken relationships. He says, well, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, do not commit adultery. He goes a step further. He says, if, he, if a married person even looks at another person lustfully, they're guilty of adultery in their heart. He says, then you've heard it said, love your neighbor. And then he said, but you, you must also love your enemies and pray for people who persecute you. Jesus did have different ideas from those in the Old Testament when it came to the subject of revenge. He told his followers that their love for one another must be unconditional and that they must never seek revenge, even though the Old Testament allows it. For example, it says an eye for an eye teaching in Exodus chapter 21. But Jesus told his followers, you've heard it said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If somebody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. You can read about this in Matthew 5, verses 38 and 39. This sermon is chock full of a whole bunch of other important teachings. In the Sermon on the Mount and in the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus summed up almost all of his teaching. Christians find the important following lessons in this sermon. It talks about possessions on earth are not important. Meaningful spiritual treasures must be found by good people in heaven. It says people should not worry because God is going to take care of them. We talked about that last week. It talks about how people should not judge each other. It's hypocritical to do so, and only God can sit in judgment. Elsewhere it says God will help those who seek his help. It says the way to heaven is difficult to pass through like a narrow gate, but getting to hell is easy like a wide gateway. This is all wisdom. But let's be honest. How often do we live unwise and blow off these brilliant teachings in the greatest sermon ever preached? Now, depending on what stage you're at in life, you'll probably respond to this in one of a couple of ways. Well, I guess I better buckle down and get started. Let's see what part of the Sermon on the Mount I'm going to work on today. Or maybe number two, you say, well, can I just go back to bed? 
You see, when Jesus says that the one who builds his house on the rock hears my words and does them, well, honestly, this, this is a bit like being told as a teenager, maybe working a fast food job, that you need to build the Mar-a-Lago Club, you know, Donald Trump's winter residence in Florida, on your $20,000 a year salary, do this in order to get into heaven. There's no way you could do it. The problem is that the Gospel of Matthew is filled with such passages. Matthew presents the Gospel of the Kingdom that Jesus came preaching. A description of what life under King Jesus is like, and as glorious as that picture is, and as much as we would like to live it, it can seem unattainable when we look only at this Mar-a-Lago house of a life that Jesus talks about and realize that we can't begin to measure up. But the Gospel of Matthew doesn't consist only of the Gospel of the Kingdom. It ends with the King Himself dying on a cross and then rising from the dead. So what's the connection between the message of the King about the life that He wants us to live and the death of the resurrection of the King? You know, there, there are clues scattered throughout Matthew, but it isn't until after Jesus ascends to heaven and the apostles through the Holy Spirit explain to us in their writings the significance of Jesus' death we begin to see how Jesus' death and resurrection make it possible for us to build our house on the rock. In other words, to build our lives on wisdom. The only way possible for us to hear Jesus' words and do them is to be united with Jesus in His death and His resurrection. His death becomes our death and His life becomes our life and the house on the rock that stands against the storm of God's judgment is nothing less than the exquisite mansion of Christ's own life that He builds for us through the Holy Spirit who indwells in us. So summarizing, how do you build your house on the rock? Be wise. A sandy foundation avoids wisdom. The opposite of a life built on the bedrock of Jesus, His life, death, burial, and resurrection. Well, that's just wisdom. Here, here's one more sandy soil, foundational condition that we, well, we focus on the temporary. There's nothing worse than shoddy construction that's not built with quality, that's not built to last. This kind of construction cuts corners, thinks about tomorrow, to the detriment of dreaming about generations. Let's move from building violations for construction to the spiritual truth here. This kind of thinking is way more temporary because in focusing on today, the temporary, you avoid the eternal. I think this is why Jesus calls us to think of others, those living on the other side of the lake. Let's go back to our hand map. Perhaps if you've been joining us all summer long here, you remember that Jesus begins this Sermon on the Mount right here on this side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's preaching this greatest sermon ever preached. And at the beginning of the sermon, he says, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. You're the salt of the earth. And here he is on this mountainside that's also a level plain. And the base of that is a commercial fishing village. There's salt right there. It's possible he's pointing across the lake as well. And he's, those cities over here, the cities of the Decapolis, you see the lights of their campfires at night. A city on a hill can't be hidden. It's possible he's pointing across the lake. And all through this sermon, as we've discovered this summer, Jesus is constantly pointing across that lake. 
and this group of others over here. These people over here who lived differently than the Jews living on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is pointing toward them and he's calling those original listers and I would argue he's calling us today to make sure we think of others. We don't want to avoid the eternal, not just for us, but also for them. I hope you make plans to join us every week, the month of August. We're getting ready to dive into a sermon series called Becoming Us. We're going to explore the vision, the mission, and the values of our church. Why? Because we want to be effective for Jesus, both on this side of the lake and on the other side, for the folks who live on that other side of the lake as well. I received an email the other day from one of our neighbors. I mean, literally one of the neighbors of our church building. She was asking as an HOA representative, can we use a room for our HOA meeting? Well, of course you can. She shared with me then that she and her husband have been sitting on their back porch listening to our worship on the lawn services. We did like 13 of those last year during the pandemic, and we've done a couple of those this summer. And she's joined us from a distance, from her porch. Here's the thing. While I was preaching, while Evan was leading and the worship teams were leading us in worship, we couldn't see her. We didn't know she was there joining us from a distance. Hey, this is a great metaphor. Our world is watching us. Our neighbors need to see us and they hear us. Here's the question. Do those of us living on this side of the lake, are we living in such a way that our neighbors on this side of the lake, when they see us, when they hear us, are our lives winsome? Is the gospel, the very good news of Jesus Christ, is it attractive in us. By the way, if any of our neighbors are listening in on our gathering right now, please know a couple of things. We, those of us that are gathered, we're broken. We're imperfect people. There's no perfect people allowed at Venture. But here's what we do know. We know that God loves us and he sent his son to die for us, to redeem us. Here's also what we do know, that God loves you. You're welcome here. Okay, let's stop focusing on sandy foundations. Let's talk about our goal. Let's talk about good bedrock foundations. In other words, let's talk about how to be intentional, how to be wise, how to be eternally focused. I heard pastor and writer Andy Stanley talk one time and he asked this best question ever. He said, the best question to always ask is, what's the wise thing to do? So real quick, I want to share with you 10 ways to invite wisdom from God. In other words, 10 ways to build foundations on bedrock. So when the winds come and when the waves rise, we want lives to endure for Jesus. So real quick, here are 10 ways to be wise straight from Scripture. Number one, ask for it. Ask for wisdom from God. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. The first thing you can do to gain wisdom from God is to ask it from him. Admit that you lack wisdom. Admit your arrogance. And admit that you've been building on sandy soil. Second, 
ask with faith. James chapter 1 verse 6 says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. So be faithful when asking and praying for wisdom from God. Cast all your doubts away and believe in Him. In other words, don't ask for wisdom when you disobey His commands. That's an act of hypocrisy and unfaithfulness. Believing in God and being faithful to Him means that you also keep and obey His commandments. Number three, know your place. In other words, be a God-fearing person. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow His precepts have good understanding. When you have proper respect for, even fear in God, you follow His teachings and obey His commands. You avoid committing sins that will displease Him. You stay away from acts that will inflict harm upon yourself and other people. And then you'll realize that these are good, these are right, and that that is wisdom. Number four, be humble. James chapter 3, verse 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, by the way, that's in quotes, because it's not. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. If you want to have wisdom from God, live a humble life. Humility will help you overcome envy and selfish ambition that lead to wicked practices. So choose humility and wisdom, not foolishness and wickedness. Number five, be prudent. This is a loaded word. Every time I hear it, I'm reminded of Saturday Night Live. Perhaps you remember Dana Carvey. Remember the church lady? He did this George Bush impersonation, the first George Bush. He said, not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. Those of you that are younger than 30, this is back when Saturday Night Live was actually funny. Well, the book of Proverbs uses this word. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Wisdom is the, the ability to make good judgments. So always practice prudence. Don't be hasty in making decisions. Always expand your knowledge. The more you know, the better your judgment will be. I was thinking about this and reminded of another time I was camping actually, next to water. We had heard that there was gonna be some storms blow in and so I had this group of folks from the suburban north side of Indianapolis area. We had gone to do a mission trip in South Dakota or camping next to this stream. Heard that there was going to be a storm roll in, so I went and bought a tarp and I tarped my tent down. Nobody else had been camping before and they did not take that proactive step. Well, that night it rained like three inches. I woke up the next morning and I had like waterlogged, soaked suburbanites literally floating on air mattresses inside of their tents. And while I was walking around surveying the damage and we tried to get a fire going and we started kind of laughing a little bit. And then I got to realizing, my goodness, I took time to tarp my tent, but what I didn't take time was to think about how close we were camping next to a raging creek at this point. My goodness, if it had come up over its banks, while I stayed nice and dry and tight inside my tarped tent with my family, 
we would have been in a world of hurt had that water come along. Be prudent. Take the extra step. What do you need to guard against right now? Where is wisdom, prudence in your life? Number six, be peaceful and considerate. James chapter 3, verse 17 says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Always observe awareness and practice peacefulness. Be gentle and slow to anger. Learn how to forgive and show mercy. Be considerate of the feelings of the people around you. Have compassion and understand the sufferings of others. By achieving calmness, peacefulness, and full awareness of your surroundings, you will have a better chance to receive the wisdom that comes from God. Enough said, right? Number seven, know your Bible. Read the scriptures and know the words of God. Remember, we talked about living with intention. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says it this way, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Be patient in reading and learning God's words in the Bible. The scriptures contain instructions, warnings, and guidance on how we should live and walk on earth. The more you know the words of God, the more you will be wise building your life on a solid foundation. Number eight, know Jesus better. Colossians chapter two, verse two says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are all hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Our Lord Jesus is God's wisdom Read more about Him in the Holy Bible. Listen maybe to preachers who know Him so that you can get to know Him better. Do you know about podcasts? Oh my goodness, I love listening to podcasts. They grow my faith. If you'd like to know more about this amazing resource, shoot me an email. I'll share with you some of my favorites. Learn Jesus' ways and follow His teachings. Believe in Him and love Him. These will certainly give you the key to the treasures of wisdom. And it is a solid foundation to build your life on. Number nine, represent him well. Preach and practice the words of God. I love the phrase, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. Colossians chapter three, verse 16 says this way, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all the wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So be the manifestation of God's wisdom. Do not just learn God's words, but also practice what you preach. Make yourself the substantial evidence of kindness, compassion, self-discipline, and love. Let the people around you realize that the wisdom of God, which is Christ, 
is within you, that you're building your life on a firm foundation. Number 10, keep chasing more. Keep chasing more wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5 says it this way, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. Do your best to get wisdom. Free yourself from foolishness, from arrogance and pride and envy and hatred and selfishness and all the things that hurt wisdom from entering your body and your mind and your heart and your soul. Let the pure wisdom of God dwell in you. Well, let's get real practical, shall we? How are we as a church leaning into this challenge today? Well, you know, we're getting ready to kick off our fall activities here at Venture. Can I encourage you to engage? Some of you are joining us from online right now and you've been online for a while. Can I just challenge you? this might be a good time for you to come back and get connected physically again. You know, you're gonna be hearing me talk about this through August. September 12th, we're kicking off our fall spiritual growth journey. And this is gonna be done in community. It's called a journey home. Listen, if you're not in a small group, let me plant this seed in your mind. You need good community. And this would be a brilliant time for you to get connected in community with a small group of other believers and literally to journey through life together here this fall. Can I ask you to do some self-reflecting? Some self-inventorying? As we sing this next song together, honestly ask yourself this question. What are you building your life on? right now.